Hey guys, welcome to the Fellowship Greenville Students Podcast. This week, Matt Densky finishes up our series called Follower, where we are navigating what it means to be a fully committed follower of Jesus. Matt talks about why we should follow Jesus, and we look at Luke 19, verses 1 through 10, where Jesus interacts with Zacchaeus. Matt gives five reasons from this passage of why we should follow Jesus and invites us to follow him if we haven't been. We hope you enjoy this message. And again, welcome everyone to Fellowship Greenville students on this beautiful Sunday night. My name is Matt Dinsky, student ministry pastor here at Fellowship Greenville. Thank you, Denisha. <laughs> what are you doing, man? Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, man. I, I love the love. Um, yeah, my number one love language is quality touch, but I've learned over the years only from certain people. Only from certain people. Quality touch. I mean physical touch and quality time. Hey, man, it's the hybrid. But only from certain people. I've noticed other people are like, please don't, man. Please don't. Um, we're so glad you're here. My name is Matt Dinsky, student ministry pastor, and I want to welcome you tonight. If it's your first time, first time in a while, welcome. Uh, hopefully you find out right away we are all about Jesus here. We love Jesus. We believe in Jesus. We believe Jesus was God in the flesh, lived on earth 33 years, and showed us the way back to God and uh, repaired our relationship, our broken relationship to God. We have been going through a series over the past few weeks that we have called Follower, and we have been looking at narratives and stories within the scriptures and looking at these examples of people who were quote, following Jesus, but upon further examination and kind of looking deeper into the story, we realize, oh wait, they're not actually following Jesus. They had different motives, they, they had some ulterior uh, agenda or whatever. On the outside, it looks as if, yep, they are following Jesus, but when you dig a little bit, it, it's not actually what following Jesus is. And so we've, we've looked at a few categories. We've looked at the consumer follower, those who physically were following Jesus, but their motives were, what are the benefits of this relationship that I can get from Jesus for me? That's why I'm following him. That's the consumer follower. We've looked at the curious follower, someone who desires to know more about Jesus, but needs certainty. There's like no room for faith. Like I have to have all the answers. If I'm truly going to believe, if I'm really going to follow, I got to have the answers and there's no allowance for faith. And that's not really what following is. There's got to be some, some room for faith. We've looked at the 99% follower, someone who's like, I'm almost there, man. Like, I'm all in, except this one caveat of my life, this one category. I just can't give you it. It matters too much to me. So I'll control that. I'll give you everything else. And so it's not really full surrender to Jesus. We've looked at the conditional follower, someone who's like, oh, I'll follow you, but it's got to kind of look like this. And Jesus, you've got to do these things the way I expect you to operate this is what I need. And then last week we looked at the religious follower, someone who bases their uh, followership in Jesus, bases it on the infrastructure of religion and tradition and ritual, and is completely absent of relationship and, and authenticity. And there's just no, um, there's no being known or knowing Jesus. It's all based on the religion, and that's not really following. So we've, we've studied this series pretty in depth, and, and it's uh, been pretty enjoyable. Tonight, I want to look at kind of the opposite spectrum. So we've looked at examples where it's like, it seems like they're following, as we've looked in the scriptures, but as we dig in, they are clearly not following, because that is not what following Jesus is. Tonight, I want to look at a story in the scriptures that's Someone who is clearly not following Jesus, like they are so far away from God or living for God or even being interested in God. They're not following Jesus. And by the end of our story, they follow him. They decide to follow him. It's the, it's the opposite end of the spectrum. These were, looks like they're following, but they're not. This is definitely not following, but at the end they will be. And I want to look at this story tonight. And I also 
want to kind of present Jesus in a way tonight as well. And so, so tonight, the, the follower we're going to look at, I'm, I'm just going to call an authentic follower. All right, so if you've been taking notes over the past few weeks and you need the categorization of like, whoa, what follower are we going to look at tonight? Tonight would be the authentic follower. So we're going to look at that story. And then simultaneously, I want to try to answer the question, well, why follow Jesus at all? So if you're in the room tonight and you don't follow Jesus, hopefully I can answer this well for you tonight. If you're in the room and you claim to follow Jesus, but deep, deep down, you know that you don't, you've fallen into one of the other categories, consumer, conditional, curious, 99%, religious, whatever. Hopefully tonight you'll see why Jesus is worth following. And if you are in the room and you do currently follow Jesus, then this should inspire you to follow him all the more. So I want to I wanna talk about this, this story of this uh, person who's clearly not following Jesus and decides to and why. And why is Jesus worth following today? What, what is so captivating about him, in my opinion? Why is he worth following? And please understand, this will not be the exhaustive answer. The exhaustive answer would I mean, I could teach on this question like every week for a year, and I could give you 52 different sermons, and I still don't think that we'd get at it, but tonight I'm going to condense a little bit of it down. Why follow Jesus to begin with, all right? So let's start with this idea. Uh, let's start with the idea of reputation, okay? Reputation. Reputations matter, all right? Who, when they were in middle school, all right, so we're going to do a little flashback here. <laughs> Denise has already got a hand up. You don't even know what I'm going to ask, man. JJ, I already knew your answer, Yes. Who, when they were in middle school, really, really cared about their reputation? Or like, what? if your hand's not up, you're, you're so lying, man. Everybody, when you're in middle school, dude, middle school is the most brutal three years of life, all right? There's no way around that. Sixth, seventh, eighth? Okay, and my bad, two years of life. It's different in different places. If it's two for you, it's two. If it's three for you, it's three. Middle school is brutal. It is cutthroat. Girls, you especially are like so mean to each other. I do not get it. I don't understand. I think, I think, I think full-grown adult prisoners would be scared to go to middle school. You know what I mean? Like, oh, I'll live in the pen, but dude, I ain't going to middle school. You know what I mean? Like, it is brutal there. Middle schoolers care about their reputation. I think I told you guys this when I, when I was in middle school, and they're coming back in style-ish, kind of. Um, but right now, like on the trend are like baggier pants, right? Baggier pants are coming back in. I told you guys this, man. When I was in middle school, there was a, there was a company called Jinko, J-N-C-O, and they just built the baggiest pants you could ever imagine. Like, like, like my waist would be one of the legs, right? Like just huge baggy pants. They were it in middle school and little like tech deck uh, skateboards like on the lunch tables, right? Like that's where it was at, man. Pokemon, like holographic Charizard. I mean, that was my middle school, man. And some of you guys are like, wow, this seems eerily similar to my high school. I know everything's coming back in right now. I, th- I told you guys this before. I tried to get a nickname running for myself. JJ was just making fun of me about it. I tried to tell people my nickname was Mad Dog because I thought that would be cool. My initials are M-A-D. So I was like, yeah, call me Mad Dog. Like, no, it, no one did. And looking back, I'm like, oh, why? Why? Someone helped this brother out. But reputations matter. And it's easy to look back on your middle school self and be like, oh, yeah, middle school, I for sure. I mean, but I've grown out of that. And the truth is, I'm not sure we have. Like, if we're brutally honest... We still care about our reputation. A lot of us care about what people think about us, 
right? And you can claim all day long, I don't, no, like I'm, I'm independent of that. I don't, it doesn't matter to me. Well, come on now. Like there's always someone that you care about. I mean, just think about your motives of like, why did you try out for that particular sports team? Is it because you really love the sport or is it because you thought if I get on the team, this is how people will view me when I'm on the team, right? Like there, there was some motive of reputation, of perception. Why did you start dating that person? Was it because they're really like amazing? Oh, this is like the best person God's ever made. Or because maybe there was some motive of status. Like if you got with them, it would mean something, right? Some, some idea of reputation. Why do you want to go to the college you want to go to? Why do you want to uh, choose the career path you want to choose? Because I love marine biology. Really? Like maybe you do. I don't know. But I, I would be willing to bet that the dollar sign has some motivation for some of you, and the dollar sign equals status in life, and as you perceive your future, there's some sense of reputation there, like the status in my life. We still care about our reputations. We care about what people think. Taylor Swift would say, yes. shout out, shout out to my T-Swifty fans. Taylor Swift would say, reputations are big. Thank you. All right. Um, <laughs> Big reputation. That song. That's what's in my head right now. Uh, we care about our reputations. I want to talk about a story tonight where someone in the scriptures had a big reputation, had, had a very, very well-known reputation for probably all the things you wouldn't want to be known by. Like this, this guy was despised and, and hated within his community. And not because, you know, in biblical times, and we still do this today, but there's like <clears throat> categories of people that were like, oh, if you're in this category, you're, you're really on the outs, like you're not wanted, you're on the fringe. And it, it could be due to like physical things, like certain sicknesses or illnesses or whatever. And, and this guy was not in that category. He was, he was hated because of his success. So, so let me explain. We're going to be in Luke chapter 19 tonight. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn to Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Um, we're going to look at a story tonight of a guy named Zacchaeus. And this story may be familiar to some of you, if, if you've been in the church world, like when you were a kid or something, maybe you heard a song. Yes? Zacchaeus was a... And a wee little... Uh. Yeah, okay. <laughs> yeah, drop the beat. Um, I don't know that song. I don't know. I mean, I know those two lines, but I didn't grow up in church, so I learned it because people sang it. I've never seen a single episode of VeggieTales. I don't know. <laughs> the audacity. Does this man love Jesus? <laughs> oh, man. Yes. Sorry, guys. Sorry to disappoint. You guys are going to write a letter to Charlie tonight. Uh, we need a new pastor for our youth ministry. This man does not know who Bob and the other guy is. I don't know the other guy. I just know Bob. Bob's the tomato, right? Yeah. Larry, my bad. Larry, my bad. Easy. Is he a cucumber or zucchini? Cucumber, all right. <laughs> all right. Anyway, we're going to look at a story tonight. Man, it's, it's amazing what causes treason among this group right here. Like, mutiny! Kill him! <laughs> I could probably confess like a moral sin to you guys and you guys be like, oh man, empathy, forgiveness, grace, Jesus loves you. I confess I've never watched VeggieTales, murder. <laughs> like, wow. 
I want to talk about a guy tonight named Zacchaeus. He had a reputation, and, and, and this is why. So, so a little bit of historical context here. The, the whole nation of Israel had experienced outside oppression, like different nations have conquered them over the years. And right now, the nation that is, has conquered Israel is Rome, ruled by Caesar. Well, Caesar needs money to run his nation and his armies and feed his soldiers and his people and, and keep conquering other lands. He needs money. And so he taxes the nations that he conquers. So the tensions are already high between Rome and Israel. And so Rome figured out, well, we shouldn't get Roman soldiers to tax Jewish people to tax Jewish people because the Jewish people already hate us. We've conquered them. I mean, we have them in suppression right now. So what could we do? And Rome decided very, very cleverly, what if we got Jewish people to collect taxes from other Jewish people on behalf of Caesar? So create like a middleman type thing. That way, Roman soldiers aren't going door to door and putting our lives at risk. We'll use the very people we've conquered to collect taxes from the very people we've conquered and give that money back to Caesar. And so you have to understand that in Jesus's day, tax collectors, when you, when you see that word in the scriptures, the gospels, when you see the word tax collector, it's not just someone who collected taxes. The connotations, the things associated with that word, they were despised by people. They were hated by people. Because you have been conquered by a foreign nation and you are oppressed by a foreign nation and you're desperately trying to hang on to your lifestyle and your traditions and your rituals, you're trying to preserve your culture, and then your own brethren start working on behalf of the nation that has conquered you to take money from you for them. Like you would, you would hate tax collectors. They were despised in this culture. And so typically what a tax collector would do is they, they'd quickly realize, well, Rome does not value me. They don't care for me. Like my only allegiance to Rome is my profession. I work for them, but there's no sentiment, sentiment there. Like I don't love them. And my fellow countrymen, the fellow Jews, don't love me either because I'm collecting money on behalf of Rome. And so typically what a tax collector would do is if, they, if you owed money to Caesar, a tax collector would come to your house. If you owed like, I don't know, let's say $1,000, hypothetically, you owed $1,000 in taxes, they would come to your house and say, hey, you owe $1,500. And you would pay the tax collector the $1,500 because if you didn't, Roman soldiers would show up more violently. So you'd pay the $1,500 the tax collector would take the thousand to Rome that they're expecting, and then they'd pocket that 500 that they lied about. You didn't owe 1,500, you only owed 1,000. But this is how tax collectors made their money. This is how they became wealthy. Rome doesn't love me. The Jews don't love me. They already hate me. So I'll cheat them out of even more money so that I can start to elevate my own life and my status and my reputation. And so it was this vicious cycle of physically becoming wealthier but relationally becoming poorer. Nobody liked tax collectors. And the story we're going to look at tonight is about a tax collector, and his name is Zacchaeus. And I, um, I want to look at how Jesus interacts with him. I want to look at an authentic follower, which Zacchaeus is not in the beginning of our story, but he is at the end. And I want to try to approach this question, why follow Jesus? Based on our passage tonight, our 10 verses we're going to study tonight, why follow Jesus? What is so compelling about Jesus that would make Zacchaeus follow him and that would implore us to follow him as well? So let's jump in. Luke chapter 19, verse 1. Jesus entered Jericho, where Zacchaeus lives. Zacchaeus was the man, remember, 
He's a tax collector. He's cheating people out of money. He's giving some to Rome. He's pocketing some. He's running the streets. Like he's a criminal. He's a crook. He's a thug. He's not a nice guy. The whole song about him doesn't make sense to me. Because <laughs> it's like, if you're going to write a, like someone somewhere was like, maybe we could write a song about someone who put their faith in Jesus, which I love that, right? Like, let's do that. But the attributes that they highlighted for Zacchaeus' song was not about his faith. Let's talk about how short he was. Like, that's catchy. Like, I just don't get the Zacchaeus song. I've got to confess to you. I didn't grow up with it, so it's never made sense. Huh? It's for four-year-olds? That's great. Why not highlight his faith, not his height? You know what I mean? Like, seems sensible to me. So Zacchaeus is hated in Jericho. You've got to understand the gravity of this. He doesn't have friends. He doesn't have people. He, he has nowhere to belong. Zacchaeus' worldview is money. I will buy my enjoyment. I will buy my recreation. I will achieve a certain status that people will want to be around me in hopes that something trickles down to them. You, you know what I mean? It's that lifestyle of, of constantly climbing the ladder just so that your status gets you by. But deep down, there's a loneliness and a hollowness and a shell. And Zacchaeus is there. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. He's a tax collector. And as we'll see in a minute, he's a chief tax collector, which means he's not just doing his own little route. The dude has minions. Like, dude has set up shop in Jericho. These are my streets. I run these streets. I make money off these people. I have people that work for me that collect taxes on behalf of me. So I'm not even doing the legwork anymore. Like, nobody likes Zacchaeus. It's important to understand that in, in this culture and in this time, how despised tax collectors were. And, and here's Zacchaeus, this chief tax collector. Jesus entered Jericho and he was passing through. So Jesus, his intention is just to pass through. He's on his way to Jerusalem right now. He's traveling through Israel. He's passing through and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Like just in case you didn't know, the little commentary here that Luke puts in, just in case you didn't know, he's got money, all right? He's trying to lay this, this idea out to us. He's a chief tax collector, not low on the ladder. He runs this thing and he is rich. How did he get rich? He extorted money from his fellow countrymen on behalf of a government that's oppressing them. They hate him. Nobody likes Zacchaeus. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. All right? So we get these clues about Zacchaeus. He is a short man. That's why the song is written about him. Zacchaeus was a wee little man. <laughs> like Zacchaeus, like he, he, he is vertically challenged, right? Like he, he's got, he's had a little bit of a, of a hard life. He's got certain challenges due to his, to his, physical reality. And it's interesting that Zacchaeus has tried to raise his reputation by his status. It's like, I mean, you can see the, the insecurities that led to the compensation in his life. Like, I've got to overdo my status because I've never been able to make much of myself. Like, you can kind of see this playing out. Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. I'm not exactly sure this is because he's like, oh, the rabbi's passing through and I want to hear him teach the word of God because I'm really curious about what he's going to say. I'm not quite sure that's the motive. I think it was more so maybe Zacchaeus was like one VIP to another. Like, I want to see this guy. You know what I mean? Like Zacchaeus' own estimation of himself 
And Jesus, this is around the three-year mark or later of his ministry, so Jesus' reputation is really well known. I think Zacchaeus probably wanted to see Jesus because he would consider him, you know, like another VIP in society, like a feather in the cap. I want to see Jesus. I want to see what he has to say. I've heard about this guy. He's done some miracles. Sounds like he could almost be as cool as me. Like, I want to see him. But Zacchaeus can't because of the crowd. He can't see around the people. He, like, his view are butts. Like, that's what he's looking, looking at right here. I can't see Jesus because there is a crowd. So Zacchaeus comes up with a plan. Look at verse 4. He ran on ahead, and he climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for Jesus was about to pass that way. So the whole notion of, like, lines means nothing to Zacchaeus. And this is one of, like, I hate this. Anyone ever been to a theme park? Like uh, Six Flags, Disney, anything like that? Yeah? Has it, what do I do with you guys, man? I know you have. You guys ever been in line for like a roller coaster and it's a multi-hour wait? And then some, some person out of nowhere like comes up like, excuse me, excuse me, excuse me. And you're like, hey, 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 boy, what are you doing now? And they're like, oh, my friend Johnny's up front. You know, he's holding the spot for me. I'm like, I don't care. I don't know Johnny and I don't know you. You know what I mean? Like, like Johnny, like he's just hollering some fake name. You guys ever see someone cheat the system like this? And then they get up front and there's nobody there. Like dude just lied his way through hours of waiting. Has anyone ever experienced this firsthand? I have. Who's the person that did it? You, Denisha. I'm trying, Lord. I'm trying. I was the person who did it. Well, anyway, this is what's going on with Zacchaeus. Like, there is a huge group of people waiting to see Jesus. They want to see Jesus. Will he perform a miracle? Will he teach? Will he stir up controversy with the Pharisees? Will, will, will something happen? Like, everybody wants to see Jesus. Zacchaeus is like, I want to see. Like, he's like, I want to see. And he can't. And so he cuts line, goes around the crowd, and climbs a tree. You know what I mean? Like, everyone's like, I didn't know you could do that. Like, but Zacchaeus, he doesn't care, man. He's up in the tree, and he's waiting on Jesus. Jesus was about to pass us that way. Like, you can see Zacchaeus' motives in his head are me first, right? Like, you're getting these glimpses into his character. I want to see Jesus doesn't matter what they all want to see. doesn't matter that they were here before me. I want to see him, so somehow I will find a way to elevate myself, in this case, literally, up a tree, because I want to see Jesus. Now, here's what's amazing. Jesus was about to pass that way. When Jesus came to that place, of all the people that Jesus could have talked to or people thought would have talked to, no one would have thought, this dude up in the tree who just took money from my family, who cut line, got the best seat in the house. We didn't know you could do this climb tree stuff. Like we're, like we're at the Velvet Road, man. Like we got here early. Of all the people that Jesus was supposed to talk to, nobody thought it was going to be this guy. And it's not like this crowd was, like everybody was doing super well. Like they had needs too. There was brokenness, physical and spiritual. They were there to see Jesus as well. No one thought, Jesus would talk to Zacchaeus, but look at what Jesus does. When Jesus came to this place, to that place, he looked up 
and said to Zacchaeus, hurry and come down. Calls him by name, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. And so he hurried and he came down and he received him joyfully. I want to pause there because there's a lot of stuff going on that, I mean, it's so profound and and it's, it's so subtle sometimes that we can miss this. So Jesus is traveling through Jericho, this, this dude who runs Jericho. He's a criminal. He's a crook. He, he robs from people. He's made his wealth by extorting people from their money, cr- literally creating poverty or homelessness or, or broken families due to his greed and his desire to elevate his own status. He seems callous and heartless. He wants to see Jesus. He cuts in front of everyone. Like, dude is thinking about himself always. It's compensating for the insecurities in his life, clearly. And he's thinking about himself. And of all this crowd that is desperate to see Jesus, who does Jesus stop for? Zacchaeus. What's amazing about this is Jesus, at this point in his life and ministry, chronologically, he is about one week away from going to Jerusalem to be crucified. So, so, so literally, he's got about two weeks left before he's hung on the cross. And he knows this. He's very aware of his time. Jesus, at the end of his life and ministry, like he's weighing out, I have a couple of weeks, maybe less than that, literally to achieve what I've come to achieve before I'm crucified, to teach the things I need to teach, to do the things I need to do, to perform any last miracles, I need to get to Jerusalem. Like, all this is in his head. He's got this agenda and task before him. And he's present and aware enough in this moment to stop for one person. And of all the people he could have stopped for, it's the least expected person. It's Zacchaeus. And look at what Jesus does. He calls Zacchaeus by name. Has Jesus ever been to Jericho before? Have Jesus and Zacchaeus ever rubbed shoulders? Did they know each other? There is no evidence that Jesus should have known Zacchaeus' name. None whatsoever. There's no conversation prior. Zacchaeus wants to see him. Jesus is passing by and he stops and somehow knows Zacchaeus' name. Could it have been some divine intervention, some knowledge given through the Spirit? Yeah, it could have been. But maybe, just maybe, Jesus knowing he was going to go to Jericho, had heard enough stories from people. Oh, dude, you don't, you don't want to go to Jericho, man. There's this guy there. He's a little guy. But, dude, he, he will bury you. He, he will rob from you. If you guys have money, don't bring it. Like, that dude will cheat you and steal from you and rob from you. He will destroy your life. His name's Zacchaeus. Don't go to Jericho. And if you do, avoid him at all costs. Like, maybe Jesus heard enough stories to where he would know, little guy in a tree, got to be <laughs> Zacchaeus. Think about this. Literally days away from the cross, like the, the, the final push of his earthly ministry, the sacrifice for all of us, and Jesus has the wherewithal to stop and identify someone he's heard about and call him by name. So why follow Jesus? Let me give you a few points tonight. And this is the first one, that Jesus knows your name. Jesus knows your name. Now, this may not seem that significant to you right away, but think about it when you've gone places and you've introduced yourself, and then before you leave, that very same person repeated the name you gave them to begin with. 
You know what I mean? Like it, it makes you feel special. It's very hard. I'm not going to lie to you because like on Sundays, all of you hear my name, Matt, and then you guys all expect me to know your names. And it takes like years to learn this, right? And then students are always like revolving over. Seniors graduate, freshmen come in. It's very hard to remember all the names. And Jesus knew the name. I, I was in Texas one time. I was speaking at this, uh, this conference and these teenagers came up to me and they all introduced themselves to me. And there was a, it was like a group of guys and a group of girls. And I swear they were trying to play a joke on me, but they weren't. Like the girls' names were like Kimberly, Emberly, Amberly, like, I, I, like all these very similar sounding. And I'm like, are you serious? And they're like, yeah, that's our names. And I was like, uh, okay. And, and so I was, like, I was like trying to write them down without looking at what I was writing. It, but, but I wanted to be able to go back and like say their names. And by God's grace, I was able to remember theirs. And then the guys were like, my, uh, my name's Chris, Cole. We got a second Cole. Uh, Gabe, Jabe. I was like, that's not real. They're like, yeah, man. Like, I was like, guys, stop. Like, just stop. You, you want your name to be remembered. You want your name to be known. Because you want to know that someone notices you and then can name you and then can know you. Like, this is the desire of every human heart. Notice, named, and known. And Jesus here notices Zacchaeus and names him. Jesus knows your name. Think about that. The creator of the universe, the creator of the cosmos, who has always been. Like, we tend to have a hard time thinking beyond ourselves. But if you could zoom out for just a second and try to grasp this, that God knows the name of every single person on planet Earth right now. And God has known the name of every single person that has ever been on planet Earth. And God will know the name of every single person who, is, who will be on planet Earth. That God doesn't, isn't bound by time. He's outside of time, but he operates within time. And yet he somehow still is everywhere at once and yet intimate and personal enough to know your very name. A room full of teenagers sitting in Greenville, South Carolina right now, of all the things happening in the world everywhere at once, he knows your name. Jesus knows your name. And he calls Zacchaeus by his name. He identifies Zacchaeus in a way that communicates value. I'm sure Zacchaeus had been called a lot of names by the people in Jericho. And Jesus called him by his real name, Zacchaeus. And he gives Zacchaeus an interesting request. He says, come down out of the tree. Like, hurry and come down. Like, if I was Jesus, I'd be like, dude, why, why, what's up, man? Why are you up there? Jesus doesn't do that. I would also be a little uh, weirded out. In Jewish culture, men wore robes. This is just me, but if I'm standing under another man who's got an open robe flowing in the wind, I might be kind of feeling awkward about what I'm seeing while I'm talking to this man. You know what I'm saying? Got some tidy whities going on there, bro. Like, what's up? Jesus doesn't, like, he's not focusing on why are you up there. He invites him out of there. And this is very significant. Don't miss this. Because Jesus, I think, understood of Zacchaeus the context of his life. I think Jesus already knew why he was in the tree. Yeah, he's short and he can't see anyone. I get that. Like, that's the literal reason, right? But what about the emotional reason, the psychological reason? I wonder how many times Zacchaeus has felt the need in his life to compensate 
out of his insecurities and elevate himself above others, whether literally like in the tree or socially with money and status. Like Jesus, I think, grasps this in the very moment. Get it, dude, come down, come down. And this to me is, is one of the second reasons, the, the second compelling reason I think to follow Jesus is that he knows what matters to you. Like Jesus took one look in the tree, saw this guy, knew who it was, Zacchaeus, come down, bro. Like in, in this instant, he, he's putting all these contextual clues together. Oh, this man is elevating himself above others so he can see me, but this man probably elevates himself above others in life because he needs to matter, he needs to feel important, he's probably really lonely, he's probably despised and hated. He pretends to have a really nice life because of his wealth and his money, but I bet he is so desperate, desperately lonely and just wants people, wants friends, wants authenticity. But Rome hates him, the Jews hate him, what can he do? He's in the cycle, this is his life. I think Jesus put all that together in a moment. Jesus knows what matters to you. Like he understands the context of your interests and your life and the decisions that you make and why you make them. Like we have this incredible God who doesn't just know your name, but actually takes an interest in you and your life. When I was in college, I, I was RA for a few years on a hall, and there were some guys on my hall that were super into Star Wars. Maybe, yeah, I don't know. Maybe some of you guys. I always do this, but I know that's not Star Wars, that's Star Trek, but I always do it anyway. I know, I get it, man. Um, that's the joke. Uh, they were super into Star Wars. If you know me, you know that I love Star Wars and Harry Potter. Let me tell you about that. And uh, no, but these guys were super into it. And every Tuesday, every Tuesday, they got together and played a Star Wars board game. And it's as exciting as it sounds, I'll, I'll tell you. And you had these little pieces and you had these dies and you were supposed to roll them and the number meant some, certain squares, I don't know. And you had like attack value and defense value to your pieces and there were like these little toy soldiers that like got out, I, dude. I still don't know really how to play, but every Tuesday night they would play. Look, I don't care about Star Wars. I, I don't, I don't know. I've never, I don't know. I tried to watch the movies. They didn't, they didn't do it for me. So I was like, I don't know. Anyway, um, but there's no judgment if you love it. That's cool, man. Cause Jesus takes an interest in that. <laughs> your, your boy Maddie might not, but Jesus does. No, but these guys loved it. And so every Tuesday night they would play this game. And every Tuesday night I would go down to their room and play this game with them. I had no idea what I was doing. They were like, oh, dude, what character do you want to be? I was like, I don't know, dude, the guy with the green lightsaber, like, I'll take him. And they're like, oh, sweet, man. You like Obi-Wan Kenobi? I was like, yes, I'd give me Obi. And so they, like, they would do all this stuff. But every Tuesday night, I was there. Do you know why I was there? Because I was there already, and this is what mattered to them. And if it mattered to them, it mattered to me. It doesn't mean I was a fan of the movies. I still, like, I don't know what I was doing in there. But I played every Tuesday night with these guys. You know what? You know what's really amazing? Like, this was a custom game with, like, characters, cards, and all these things. At the very end of the year, we were doing, like, one last game with each other. And they said, hey, Matt, don't pick a character. Tonight, we're going to pick your character. I was like, oh, sweet. They brought out, they had made a custom piece that looks like me and, and had made, like, professional, like it went with the rest of the game, attack and defense cards for me. They had, they had like ripped all these pictures off Facebook of me and like made up all these different moves and defense moves and attack moves. And like it brought tears to my eyes 
Because this whole time I was like, dude, I'm just hanging, man. I'm just playing Star Wars because you guys like it. But in their mind, it was like, no, dude, that meant something to us. And they surprised me by making me a character in their board game, (laughs) which is incredibly sweet. I valued what they valued, and they knew it. Jesus values what you value. Jesus knows what matters to you and inserts himself into the context of that situation. Jesus didn't need to ask Zacchaeus, what are you doing? Why are you doing that? He already knows that. He already understands the contributing factors. And he invites Jesus out of that and towards himself. And then Jesus does something really amazing. He says, Zacchaeus, tonight I'm coming to your house for dinner. Like I'm coming over. And I don't know if you guys have ever had unexpected guests before. Like people who are just like, yo, dude, what you doing? Chilling? I'm down. I'm down. I'm coming. Like maybe some of you that doesn't stress you out, but others of you, it does. Like you feel the need to pick up your room really frantically. Like, oh, dude, I got to make them think like I live <laughs> neatly, even though no, we all know. We all know the truth. Like pile of, pile of clothes under your bed, 15 half-drunk water bottles, like somehow a plate of like spaghetti from last November. You know what I mean? Like... <laughs> turn it upside down, doesn't fall off. Like, we all know. We all know. Jesus gives this unexpected, not invitation, Jesus gives this unexpected announcement, I'm coming over. Like, he doesn't even ask Zacchaeus. He just says, I'm coming over, which is pretty amazing considering the the rules of hospitality in this culture. Jesus bypassed all of those and said, dude, I want to come to your house. I want to sit down with you. I want to eat with you. Number three reason that I think Jesus is worth following. Jesus knows where you live. Now, I know on Facebook, you're like, what? That's weird. No, hear me out. Jesus knows where you live. In other words, Jesus knows what goes on at home. He knows your name. He knows what matters to you. And he knows where you live. All of us, if we have the courage to admit it, wear a mask pretty often. We don't like to let people in. We don't like to feel weak. We desperately want to be loved, but we're afraid if they really know us, they won't love us. So we put a mask on. Over the years of doing student ministry, I've I've had some really, really impactful interactions with students where that mask has finally come off. I had a student tell me one time in a breakdown moment, they were 15 years old, and they confessed to me and and to a, a group of people that we were with that their dad committed suicide and left behind a letter explaining the reason he killed himself was because of his son. He got that note when he was seven. He had harbored that for eight years and never told a soul that he carried the weight that his dad took his own life because of him. Imagine carrying that and never telling anyone because you're too afraid of what they'll do with it. I had a girl tell me one time that she's never ever learned how to ask someone for help in her life because her dad's out of the picture, her mom is disengaged and disinterested in raising the kids, she has two younger siblings, and her entire life since she was a little girl, she's had to be the mom to the two sisters below her. She's never learned that there is grace in this life that enables you to say, I don't know how to do this. The pressure of the world is on her shoulders. She doesn't know how to be a teenager because she's had to be a mom her whole life. And Jesus knows that. 
Jesus knows where you live. Jesus knows what goes on in your home that you try to put this facade up so that no one else knows. He knows those things. He knows the contributing factors that make you decide to climb trees. He knows the contributing factors that make you insecure and hurt and broken. He knows the things that go on in your home life that when you come home, you go straight to your room and shut the door and distract yourself in whatever way necessary because the relationship with your family is so broken and brings so much shame and anger and pain to your life. Jesus understands that and desires to heal that, but he gets it. Jesus invites himself into Zacchaeus' home. There's no warning. There's no, like, hey, man, just so you know. No, he's in. And who knows the context of Zacchaeus' home? For all we know, he just threw a rager last night. There's, like, empty, empty wine jugs everywhere, and maybe some women still there. And we don't know. Zacchaeus had no time to formalize his life. Jesus knows where you live. He knows and understands your home life, and what contributes to your pain, to your deep hurt, to your insecurities, to the things that you try to fill your life with. He gets that. So let's look at how Zacchaeus responds. He comes down the tree joyfully. Verse 6 said, verse 7, and when they saw it, who are they? Well, this whole crowd that had gotten there first, remember them? When they saw this happening, they all grumbled And said to each other, he's gone to be the guest of a man who's a sinner. Like they're upset with Jesus for going to Zacchaeus' house. And rightly so. They hate Zacchaeus and he cut line. We didn't know you could climb a tree. We know you could do that. Jesus, you're going to his house? Bro, he destroyed our life. He took money from our family. He lied about what we owed. Our retirement, gone. Our savings, gone. Our vacation to Disney that we had saved up for, gone. Zacchaeus took that from, you're going to be with him, a sinner? And here's what's amazing about Jesus. Like, you don't see Jesus walking away and doing one of these like, hey, pray for me, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go evangelize. Like, pray one up, no. Like, he doesn't explain his agenda or his motives. He just leaves these people upset. Jesus knows your name. He knows what matters to you. He knows where you live. He, he goes to Zacchaeus' house. Everyone's upset. Now, here's the disappointing part about this passage of Scripture. For, for whatever reason, Luke does not include the conversation that Jesus and Zacchaeus had at dinner. We go from a pre-dinner scene to a post-dinner scene. We don't know what they talked about. But here's what we do know. That night, Zacchaeus encountered a man who looked at him with the most compassion Zacchaeus had ever known in his life. Zacchaeus encountered a man who spoke grace and truth to him like no one ever had before. Zacchaeus encountered a man who loved him and showed him value and dignity and worth and interest like no one ever had before. And in verse 8, this is after the dinner, this is how Zacchaeus responds. Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord. So all of a sudden he's calling Jesus Lord, like, like a title of Submission, you're my Lord. Behold, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor immediately, and if I've defrauded anyone of anything, I will restore it fourfold. There is a law in the book of Leviticus that says if you cheat someone out of money, 
you are responsible for restoring it 100% what you stole and then 20% on top of that, 120%. Zacchaeus stands and said, if I've stolen anything, I'll respond 400%. I'll restore it fourfold. He blows the law out of the water because law is not his motive. Love is his motive because he has been radically transformed by encountering a man who gave him the grace and love of God. And Jesus affirms what's going on. Because Jesus says, today salvation has come to this house. This is no longer Zacchaeus operating out of his insecurities. He's not trying to look good. He's not trying to be like, y'all, check this out. If I tell him I'll give money, he'll think I'm so, nope. Jesus confirms it. This is salvation. A radical transformation has taken place in his heart. This is real. Jesus said salvation has come to this house. He's also a son of Abraham. The son of man came to seek and save the lost. Two final reasons why I think Jesus is worth following. The first is, Jesus knows what you have done. He knows what you've done in your life, the decisions you've made, the sin you've tried to hide. Jesus knows all those things. Like when you put these together, like Jesus knows your name, he knows what matters to you, he knows your home context, he knows where you live, he knows what you've done, and yet he's still compassionate and gracious and loving and pursuing you. Like Jesus knows what Zacchaeus had done. That's why the whole crowd was upset. Him? You're going to eat with him? Jesus already knew what he had done. And yet the conversation that we don't see, somehow Zacchaeus realizes, even though this man knows what I've done, he's worth following. Jesus knows what you've done in your past. You know who else was at this dinner? You know who else was sitting around this dinner table? Jesus' disciple, Matthew. You know what Matthew's profession was? Tax collector. You don't think Matthew's sitting at the table like, oh my gosh, Zacchaeus, you have no idea what he's about to do, bro. It's so good. Like Matthew is bearing witness to the fact that Jesus can know what you've done even as one of the most despised roles in culture and still shower you with love and forgiveness and grace. Matthew is at this dinner. Zacchaeus is receiving grace. Jesus knows what you've done and he responds with hope. And finally, I think the fifth reason that Jesus is worth following, Jesus knows what you have the potential to do. Jesus doesn't stop with what you've done. Jesus knows what you have the potential to do. Jesus sees like your full life track played out. He understands what God has made you for. He understands the purpose God has given you and the worth God has bestowed on you and the love God has for you. Jesus knows the potential of your life when you give it to him. He knew the potential in Zacchaeus. If this man could encounter love and grace and radical mercy, he will change. And he did. Zacchaeus immediately, his whole life has been about accumulating wealth, immediately gives half of it away to the poor and then devotes the rest of his life. The debt and time it would take to pay this back was a lifetime. Says, I'll pay it back 400%. He saw the potential in Zacchaeus and he sees the potential in you to live a remarkable story in his name. Why is Jesus worth following? I mean, in our series, we've been looking at follower. Why is Jesus worth following? Because he knows your name. He made you. He he loves you. He knows your name. You matter to him. You have worth and dignity and value in his eyes. He knows what matters to you. He knows how you're wired. He knows what your interests are. And he loves that. He delights in that. He knows where you live. He knows how painful or joyful your home life is. He knows the contributing factors that go on in your heart. He knows what goes on in the walls of your home and it matters to him. 
He knows what you've done in your life, and yet he has radical grace and mercy and love and compassion, patience, forgiveness. And he knows what you have the potential to do. He believes in you to live a life of radical purpose in his name. I think that's why Jesus is worth following. And Zacchaeus witnessed it firsthand in one of the most radical transformations of the scriptures. And we don't even get the conversation. Luke leaves it out for some reason, but one night with Jesus and Zacchaeus was never the same. So what does it mean to be a follower? There's a lot of ways to think about this. I'm just gonna try to boil it down simply based on our story tonight. What does it mean to be a follower? To end our follower series tonight. If I were to put a definition to it for tonight, I would say this. A follower is someone whose heart would embrace God's love towards us, towards themselves. We would embrace God's love, God's mercy, God's forgiveness. We would receive those things in faith. We, we would embrace God's love, and then we would express God's love towards others. We would understand that, that, that God has pursued us and has desired to win us back and, and love us, and we would embrace those things. And then, and then through our hands, we would, we would begin to express God's love towards others. Or another way to think about this is your attitude and your actions. Like your, your attitude, your heart would be postured to receive God's love and love him back, and your actions would overflow in response to that and be faithful. Or the scripture, the biblical language of this is faith and works. That we would believe in Jesus and in response to God's radical love, we would express our faith in Jesus to live a life on purpose. I think a follower is someone who receives God's love, embraces God's love, and then expresses God's love through their actions. Look at Zacchaeus. Receives the love of Jesus and then responds with action. I will make, make it right. I, I have cheated so many people. He's not trying to earn his way. You've got to understand this because we love to earn. He's not earning anything. Earning is very different than effort. Earning is opposed to grace. Effort is never opposed to grace. Zacchaeus understands I have made a lot of people's lives very terrible and I'm going to make them right. He's already been forgiven. He's already been loved. Salvation has already come. He's responding out of that love. He's not earning God's love. He's responding out of God's love. A lot of people emphasize one or the other. Like, oh, I love God, and I love that he loves me. I embrace the love of God. And then kind of like when you, when you inspect your life, when you, when you inspect your actions, there's like nothing. There's no desiring for lost people to come to know that love of God. There's no living out our faith boldly, even at the cost of our own reputation, of our status. There's no concern for the brokenness of the world, the the, the the poor and, and orphans and people in desperate need physically. There, there's, no, there's nothing stirred up in our spirit about, about the injustices that happen around the world and even in our country. There's, it's like we've done the American thing. We've made our relationship with God very personal and all about us. And our decision to follow Jesus is a personal decision, but it's a communal walk. It's never meant to be lived alone. And so very, very many people that I've met over the years fall into this category. I love God and I love that he loves me, but there's like nothing overflowing out of that. If you were to like, if you were to like observe their faith, it would, it would seem very stale, very personal, and that's it. And then there's a lot of people who are like, man, I just want to fix the world. I want to fix the broken world. I, I want to focus on the problems and the needs of people, and I, and I want to make a difference. And all those things are great. But without the love of God, you're only ever serving the physical problem 
Like there's nothing to take care of the spiritual brokenness. There's nothing to take care of the soul. There's nothing that, that pertains to eternity. We're only focusing on the here and now. This is why both of these have to go hand in hand to, to, to embrace God's love for us and then express God's love towards others through action, through deed, through works. This is what Jesus modeled, the words of God and the works of God. So the question tonight is, are you a follower? Are you someone who follows Jesus? Are you someone who has embraced God's love for you and then expresses that through your actions in this life? If you're not a follower, I, I would invite you to consider Jesus as someone who's worth following. Why? Because he knows your name, he knows what matters to you, he knows where you live, he knows what you've done, and he knows what you have the potential to do, and he loves you radically. I think Jesus is the source of life and hope in this world. If you claim to be a follower, and yet there's no evidence, there's no fruit of your faith, like it, it's like just about the relationship, but, but that's it, it stops there, I would challenge you to think about this next part as modeled by Zacchaeus. How does your faith overflow into action? How are we now taking the love of God and expressing it through action, through deeds, through works in this world? How are we partnering with what Jesus is doing for his kingdom and his name and moving into the world to do so? Follower is not just someone who has a relationship. Follower is not someone who just does something. It's both and. Are you following Jesus? And if not, do you want to? Let's close out our series in a prayer tonight. Jesus, we love you so much. And we thank you for the story that you can literally walk into a city, find the most sinful and despised person, go have a dinner party with them, and give them radical compassion and grace and truth and mercy and hear their story and know what they've done, but also see what they have the potential to do. Jesus, thank you for not stopping at our sins. Thank you for seeing beyond that and helping us see who we were created to be. Thank you for your forgiveness and your love. Thank you for knowing our name, for being intimate and close to us. Thank you for inviting yourself into our lives. Scriptures say that we love because you first loved us. You have stepped in. You've invited yourself first. Jesus, we pray tonight that if, if anyone has been in here tonight or throughout the series and they've come to the conclusion, I'm not following Jesus, that you would give them the courage to place their faith in Jesus and embrace the love of God tonight. And we pray for those who claim to follow Jesus, but it ends at the relationship and there's no fruit, there's, there's, there's nothing overflowing, there's no effort, there's no expression of God's love towards others. We pray that you would stir us up, help us see the ways of Jesus, that the kingdom of God came into this world through Jesus and the legs of that ministry were the word of God and the works of God. Help us partner with what you are doing in this world and be broken for the brokenness in this world because we have the solution and we have the hope. Jesus, help us not be complacent or lazy or comfortable, but passionate to express your love for this world. We ask these things, Jesus, in your holy name. Amen.